Welcome to another episode of the Awareness Advantage Podcast, where leaders who are good at getting stuff done become great leaders to influence and inspire people. I'm your U.S. co-host and best-selling author, Kevin McCarthy, joined by my good friend, Canadian business partner, and best-selling author, Licky Labji. If you have not yet done so, click subscribe so you never miss an episode. And now, the Awareness Advantage Podcast. What are shame triggers? Nasty things to avoid at all costs. (laughs) But but do we even know that they're shame triggers for us? Not until they get us. It's just going to kind of stop and think and figure out why am I feeling this way sometimes? And uh, it comes to that. I was just having a conversation with a friend this weekend about that. Yeah, you just you just don't know. It just like I don't know. For me, it just creeps up on me. It's like all of a sudden, it's just like heck. And then I have to really like backpedal and figure out why I reacted how I did. And yeah, like oh, that's what that is. Yeah, I suspect most of us, <clears throat> if not all of us, but I'd say most of us probably deal with shame at some level in some areas of our life. At least that's what that's in line with what I'm reading and what I study about it. I don't know how true it is. I didn't do the empirical studies. And it can be small to overwhelming, right? In fact, there's uh, levels of shame, and toxic shame is probably one of the worst. Yeah, the good description is uh, guilt is I did something wrong. Shame is I am something wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think healthy guilt is good, actually. Mm -hmm. And I think if you ignore the little guilt things, eventually it turns into shame if you don't deal with if you deal with a guilt level, you don't have to worry about shame. Yeah. Mark, can you say that again? Guilt is what? And shame is what? G- guilt is I did something wrong. Uh-huh. And shame is I am something wrong. So guilty, if I did something wrong, I can correct that. I can I can make that right. That's not a problem. But if I am something wrong, then I don't feel like I could change it. I can't do anything about it. And so... So then what we do is we try to start covering up that shame. And when we start to try and cover the shame, we cover it with pride. So it, pride either puffs up or it covers up. So if we're walking in shame, quite often we don't want anybody to see it. So we'll either cover it up by, you know, putting facade on or acting, you know, inauthentically, or we'll we'll be the most arrogant person in the room so nobody sees that shame. I often say you show me the most arrogant person, I'll show you the most insecure. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, confidence is not arrogance. Confidence is, that's different, right? So anyway, that's, I do a whole uh, workshop on shame. So sorry, I'm all of a sudden pouring all this out. But that, well, this is great. We'd love to hear more about it from your kids. Because <laughs> uh, the, the thing is, is people, shame will cause you, cause you to actually create narratives in your mind about who you are and how others perceive you. So your filters are all off. And so it doesn't, somebody could say something very innocently and you take it like it's the end of the world. And so, um, shame's a very pervasive, it's, it's like the, uh, it's like a really bad weed. It just, it, it just keeps, keeps going. Mm-hmm. You need to pull it up. The programming around that starts really early to like, you know, instead of you did something naughty, you are a bad boy or a bad girl, right? right? Like it starts from the earliest words. 
Yeah, and Brene Brown says that we live in a shaming society. Just we're driven that way, right? We're wired. We we just go in that direction. I was thinking about that driving yesterday, <laughs> and uh, I inadvertently shamed another driver. I, I mean, I didn't do anything. I just they they uh, cut me off. I said a few expletives, and uh, and I realized after that I was like, what I just did was actually shaming that person, even though I didn't say anything to him, but it's kind of the action, right? Then I came to my senses and realized, well, I'm that guy too. So (laughs) (laughs) I've cut plenty of people off. Yeah. It's, it's so, it's so, uh, hard to see at times, you know, when we're shaming people, but the most we like we shame is our kids often. That's why people grow up with shame is because they've been shamed. And I think there's a, you know, behavior performance. I think it's because most most times we try to deal with behavior rather than the emotions behind the behavior. So, mm-hmm. um, they the the psychologists they call it uh, shadow material. We actually we actually develop a a persona within ourselves to try and cover that shame up. And so, literally, those parts of us that we were told are not good, we cut out, but we can't leave those gaps in our personality. So we backfill them with something that we think is more appropriate or more accepting by others. And so that's why it's hard to see, hard to even know you're in it because of that reason. So what I'm hearing is that the behavior of shame is not known to the person who's shaming. That's right. Yeah. Or receiving. Yeah, receiving for sure, because you you turned you said pride, but I you know there's also blame. When you feel shame, you start blaming. Oh yeah. Yeah, deflection, yeah, in uh, regret, resentment, yeah. of come under anger. Actually, that's where I started learning about shame was when I was teaching an anger management class. A, a lot of anger actually comes from shame. It doesn't come from, you know, you get triggered, but the trigger happens because you've got shame beneath the surface. So, yeah. I was walking out of a superstore yesterday, and there was a, a dad with probably a seven-year-old boy and a two-year-old in his arms and i guess the seven-year-old boy wanted something at the cash out register and he just yanked on him outside just yelling at him i've had enough of you you've done you're done you're done you're done and the entire parking lot he knew this right and i wanted to just go up to him and just say casey are you okay it's okay you know dad doesn't mean it he's having a bad day yeah. just because i could just imagine what little casey's feeling now I'm done. I, I'm not worthy. I don't belong. I don't deserve anything. Yeah. And the dad was probably just having a bad day. He probably got a bank statement with no money in it, and he had to go buy groceries. You know. Yeah. Or, or he was embarrassed by by the boy's behavior, and that's a lot of times we kick yeah. out because we're embarrassed by somebody else, even in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Work embarrasses us, and so we we shame them. Yeah. But I thought about it, you know, if, if I would have gone up, the dad would have reacted in a, such a aggressive manner to me. Mm-hmm. Why are you getting involved? So I just, I wasn't going to do anything. But, you know, the, all these emotions went up because you've seen something occur right away. And you can see this kid's life change in front of you just by that one moment. I know. And and uh, Dr. D- James Dobson did a study. He's a child psychologist, and he did a study. And he says it takes seven positive words to negate one negative one in a child. 
Well, at least, you know, I worked for Boys Town, and so I had a lot yeah, of training yeah. on power enforcement with them. And we actually worked with the kids that um, weren't making it in the program. We were the intensive program, which they eventually changed the name on that. But anyway, we had to have 12 positive interactions for every negative. Yeah. And you actually stepped them through different behaviors. We didn't work on emotions much, though. So when you made that comment, Mark, about it's the behavior that mostly gets addressed. Yeah, it really made me think about that. Yeah, because you you reinforce what you focus on, just like the principle of, you know, you'll grow where you focus. And then, so if you focus on the behavior, then you just keep growing the bad behavior. But if you focus on the emotions behind it, then you can get from the inside out because then you can empower them to change their minds. So change your mind, change your life. And so um, it's a much more efficient. I do a workshop called Strength-Based Parenting. So instead of seeing what's strong or wrongs, see what's strong, right? And so I think we did that in in business world as well. I think we would do much better at empowering people if we could see what was There's always a cause and effect. There's a reason why somebody's doing the things they do. And so for children, they act in the way that we teach them that they'll act to get their own way, to get their whatever but. no matter what you're doing you're rewarding whichever behavior you're addressing right. so exactly. that was that was one thing i really did learn is like don't don't pay attention to the negative and just we would sit there it looks like you're like waiting like please do something positive so i can address that and we can ignore all this other noise that's going on so yeah yeah and see that that little boy licky you know i always say contrast behavior from personhood so, you know, if dad had said, hey, you're a great young man, what's wrong? There's got to be something off because you're not just acting this way for no reason. It's open. You know, so it's not okay to be acting this way, but uh, I'd like to know what's going on in your heart so that I can help you. Yeah. That, that's a whole different parenting style that, that will get better results. But it would also in the workplace, if managers would also do that. Thank <laughs> Yeah, I wish I would have had uh, read um, Carol Dweck's book before I raised my kids. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, she focuses, uh, uh, she's the same way. She's like, focus on the effort, not the results, right? Uh, similar kind of concept. It's, and uh, and then that fixed mindset, I'm going to give it my twist on it, but what she talks about with fixed mindset is, you know, we're protecting what we have because we're not quite enough. Yeah. So that's the fixed mindset, right? It's like, if you tell me, you know, uh, I'm not enough, I'm going to protect that because it's dealing with my self-esteem. But if, uh, if I am very comfortable, I have a growth mindset, then it's okay. If I'm not enough, I'm, I don't, I don't even know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm still working on it. You know, I don't know where the limit is. If you are in leadership at any level from frontline manager to chief executive, Licky and I would like to invite you to join the conversations in our live virtual studio audience every Thursday or any Thursday that you are available from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. Pacific time. For more information, please visit us at blindspots.vip forward slash audience. That's blindspots.vip forward slash audience. Now back to the program. Yeah, isn't that? I mean, that goes in relationships as well, and goes in work, work relationships, even your relationship with yourself. That's a whole new conversation, right there, Mark. Yeah, let's not push the limits. Yeah, not today. Yeah, let's not get too personal here. 
that's that's a, that's after after four o'clock conversation, not early in the morning. Oh yeah, I was inspired to open the yeah Dare to Lead for a second to a page. I, had. I mean, I I have more bookmarks than yours. <laughs> I like to keep my books nice and neat and orderly. <laughs> my perfectionism would not allow those little yellow and pink. I wasn't going to shame you there, Kevin, at all. <laughs> I'm I'm horribly shamed right now. That's too funny. Uh, ironically, the uh, the she talks about all these things that show up in the workplace that are a, are a cover up for shame. And perfectionism, of course, is top of the list. Mm-hmm. Favoritism, uh, gossiping, back channeling, comparison, yeah. self worth tied to productivity, harassment, discrimination, power over, bullying, blaming, teasing, and cover ups. That's a big list. And uh, you know what workplace doesn't have all of those things going on at some place, you know, some point or another. Uh, and yet the irony is that it's just, it's just a cover up for the idea that we feel shame, right? Remove the shame from the office and all of those things will collapse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's Brene's platform, right? Part of it is we have to have these conversations about shame because that's, that's at the core of what the real issues are, right? When COVID hit my keynote business just tanked for obvious reasons. And, uh, that threw me into a spiral. I didn't you know. So I, I, I went and got some counseling, saw a therapist and one of, we talked about shame triggers, right? Cause, and what happened is I recognized he, he had me write out a whole list of, you know, categories like Brene has in that link that Blakey put there different categories. you know, what are, you know, what are your shame triggers in these categories? And I was thinking, I was telling Licky before we started that, uh, uh, I dropped out of college, you know, the, uh, the studying just kept getting in the way of my partying. So I had to, something had to give. And, uh, so when I was in COVID, I was looking for a job as trying to figure out, okay, well, I, and I don't want McDonald's. I need something that, you know, challenges in me intellectually and, uh, meets me where I was at in, uh, in my career. And so I was looking at all these help you know, ads and, and so many of them like requirement is bachelor's degree minimum. And whenever I saw that, it was that shame trigger. It was like, ah, I knew it. I'm just not good enough. Yeah. And I'm still pissed about that. <laughs> it's like, what a stupid idea, minimum requirement of bachelor's degree, unless it's a specialty. There's no getting around it though. You know, I, my, my boys are in college. One's done and the one's finishing up. I, I hope he's finishing up. He's supposed to be writing a patient this week to get finally be able to get his degree. And I'm like, you just have to have that piece of paper. Okay. You just spent four years. Just get the piece of paper. And he's just like, what is the big deal? I'm like, you have no idea how many jobs that is just the minimum to not even look at your resume. You know, it just, you have, it doesn't even matter what your degree is. You just have to have it sometimes, you know, crazy. Right. Uh, oftentimes it doesn't matter what your experience level. You could be the most highly qualified individual for that position. And they will just reject it instantly because you don't have that piece of paper, which with, now we get into a whole talk on that. So the stupidity I was saying that's another whole conversation. <laughs> uh, maybe that's next week. Let's, let's see if we can solve that world problem. I think that's part of the societal shaming piece. Well, it's a control thing. You know, that's how I always feel about it. It's such a control thing with either the hiring department or the HR of that entity. Sometimes um, I know, in purchasing, experience is huge, especially in public procurement. 
So I know I've always had to work with my HR people saying, hey, you know, if they don't have a degree in this, I'm okay with that as long as they, we can show experience. And I can, you know, list what type of experience applies. And they're like, mm-hmm. well, if I can do that, they were always receptive to it because I like, I can't limit it to somebody with just a degree. Yeah. They have to update the keyword search in the screen. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a question for you guys on some of the stuff we were talking about, about focus on the effort and not the result. And the reason I'm asking about this is my niece, who is 16, is competing at the world finals for BMX racing. And she just finished her races and she uh, only made it to quarterfinals. And my sister said she's just devastated. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you've got to be kidding me. She is one of four 16-year-olds from the United States. And she was into the top 20. And I said, I I realize it's a huge disappointment for her, but we got to focus on what she's accomplished. And I just, so that really helped me to really, really focus on that, that what has her effort in her training and what has she done to get there is kind of what I need her to get focused on. Right. Oh my gosh, she's there and she's with all these international athletes. I'm like, she can get to know some of these people now. She's got time to just relax now, even if she didn't come home with a medal. That's great to me. And, you know, it's interesting. I was having a conversation with my partner about this, about, so she's 16. So about then, about 20 years ago, the school system changed and they did the participation awards as opposed to competition awards. But it seems like your niece has still got this competition in her. Oh, yeah. And does that come from parenting style, right? Yeah. And yeah. Okay. So there you go. Right. Because her and I were having this conversation. I said, you know what? Participation is great. I think that's, that's incredible the way they've raised the change that, but once you make it to a level, then competition starts, mm-hmm. but it's up to the individual child to choose that, not for the parent to push it, but it's hard for the parent not to push it because all of a sudden they're seeing this golden child go out there and say, yay, university's been paid for, but it's the worst thing you can do to a child. Right. So yeah, I know. Um, one in four in the U.S. That's incredible. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. Wow. Age group. Yeah. You know, yeah. And that's, that's what I keep telling her. I said, you are strong. You're physically strong enough to do this kind of competition. You know, I just, it, and I think she's at kind of a crossroads right now. And I think that's where uh, my niece is at is like, do I really want to do this? You know, it, it, is this something I want to keep doing? Especially now because BMX is an Olympic sport. A lot of colleges have it as an Olympic sport. So, I mean, that's her next step. And she, I think she's starting to feel that pressure of what do I really want to do next? And I, you know, I don't know how to help my sister guide her with this, um, you know, and that's, you yeah. know. Redirect, redirection to the effort and to the, what the successes were, because that was successful. That was not a shame uh, And maybe redefining what success is. Like it's doing the best you can with what you have. So you took what you have Mm -hmm. for strength, for training, for everything, and you did the best you could, then you can be happy with your results. And if you want to go further, then, then you can do the same thing. Look at the training pieces or things that you were missing that you didn't even know you were supposed to be doing, or is it just more practice? You know, if you love it and enjoy it, then keep doing it. If you don't, don't feel the pressure you have to prefer. Yeah. I think that no. for a child, if the internal, if it's an internal drive, 
because like my son is a world-class drummer and he i never had to tell him to practice once i never had to tell him to get down there you go practice young man he was it was the opposite hey it's time to get off the drums my head's hurting <laughs> it's like but but he he just has a drive to this day he's 38 and he still has a drive he still practices like he's uh, trying out for the Olympic drummers team, you know, like he's, he's just, because it's an internal drive. So my job was, is to facilitate that. It wasn't to tell him it was right or wrong. It was to facilitate. I made sure he had the drums. I made sure, you know, he got him to where he needed to be for all that kind of stuff. So in the same way, you know, she, if she had an internal drive to be excellent at BAMX because she loved it so much. Uh, and now all of a sudden, wow, I'm actually at this caliber but then she saw people at a higher caliber yeah. and just say, look at what you did without what they have. And if you still have that drive, you keep, you keep going for it, but don't ever think that you weren't enough. Yeah. Okay, good. Just takes lots of redirection and words of affirmation. Yeah. I was also going to uh, add to that a layer of helping her focus on all of the character yeah. that has been built in this process right like she has incredible resilience and you know tenacity and persistence and you could the list just goes on discipline right i mean she you don't get to that level without having or without having developed you know significant areas of, of strength and character right discipline. yeah so you maybe help her see that i think for me something mark said really resonated which is redefining what is success, like expanding the definition of success, right? So what is success for her is not just limited to placing in the top three, but maybe it was, you know, building relationships, seeing what others are doing, you know, like just having her think about what are all of things around this event that make it feel successful instead of just honing in on where you placed. Thank you. There. Mm -hmm. And then the language your sister uses is key as well. Yeah. Right. That's the best way you can help her is by helping your sister. Yeah. Right. It's not always, it's sometimes tricky, but you can help her with, uh, with this as well. Yeah. Just don't shame your sister while you're, Tell me, not to <laughs> We've talked about it a few times because it is, it's really hard to, you know, focus on what the kids enjoy. You know, as long as you're having fun with it, you're passionate about it, I'm going to support you, you know, and that's, I, I always struggled with that with my kids too, you know, and you're like, you see it in them and you're like, oh, just a little more, but you're like, they've got to find it themselves sometime. You just, yeah. But she like my sister. She had texted me early this morning. She goes, "She's going to be so unhappy." She did not. I'm like, "Of course, she's going to be unhappy. She's had high hopes. It's a huge disappointment to be out, well, you know." But it, it's okay. She's still spectacular, and, and it's okay to feel that emotion. Yeah, it's okay yeah. to it's tell her to lean into it. It's okay to feel bad for a moment, but don't stay there. Right. Learn, uh, learn from it. You have a learning opportunity here. The other the other factors I always find with. Uh, that I've discovered on hindsight, just having my kids all in sports and music, is that the people at one may have had better equipment. They might have had a ten thousand dollar bike rather than a five thousand dollar bike. You don't know all of the 
the, the and they might have had training that she was not accessible to. There, there's all kinds of factors. So you can't compare. You got to remove, take her eyes off the comparison piece, and just focus it on her effort and right. the things accomplish. And, this is her first experience at that this level. What is the learning that comes out of this that can help her grow? Yeah. And that was my thing with her. I'm like, you know, it, this isn't the first time she's been to the world's level, but at this age group, you know, as a, a, a 16 year old, I just think it's now you're getting into that point where the next level is the next level. I mean, it's uh-huh. you, it's not for fun. I mean, it's for fun, but the, the competition just gets so real because everybody is to the point where they are training at a higher level. I think what she's feeling right now is she's like, wow, okay, now do I really want to be at this level? And what's it going to take to stay at this level? I think that's what my new experiencing right now. She's really not knowing how to process it fully. It's, 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 and, and that's a good word, process it, because coming out of it is not the time to figure that out. Yeah. A couple of weeks later might be the time to figure that out, feel the emotions, work through it, but then tell her, you know, you don't have to answer that question today. That's right. Just just enjoy what you did accomplish, enjoy, uh, grieve what you didn't, and then assess it later, and then you can make that decision whether or not. Because when you're all emotional after the fact, is not the time to make the decision. Yeah. That's why I was, I, a lot of even professionals, when they have a bad result and they say, well, I'm going to retire, this is my last game, and then the next season they're back. <laughs> it's like... You know, yeah, because they felt like retiring in that moment because they felt beat up or whatever. But after thinking about it a bit, they... They see all the things they like and enjoy about it. Yeah. Yeah. And the relationships and the the other girls that she met there. And... Yeah. Yeah. That's just it. You know, that's what I said. I'm like, oh my gosh, now that she's not racing the rest of the day, she can go out and play and, you know, rub elbows with everybody. I'm like, you don't get to do that very often. So I'm like, take advantage of it. Go and learn. Watch the other ones compete and learn from them. Yeah. Go check out the other equipment, right? And <laughs> see what the winning bike was. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I appreciate it. I didn't mean to commandeer the, the conversation. No, it's all part of the conversation because ultimately this still can boil down and, and fall back on shame if she doesn't process it properly. If you are in leadership at any level, from frontline manager to chief executive, Licky and I would like to invite you to join the conversations in our live virtual studio audience every Thursday or any Thursday that you are available from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. Pacific time. For more information, please visit us at blindspots.vip forward slash audience. That's blindspots.vip forward slash audience. Now, back to the program. And it is also, you can distill this for any, even business organizations, families, like, I mean, the, the principles transfer. So, oh, yeah. how many, how many no's do we get in business and sales, right? Yeah. What's a, the word of the day is resilience. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you, you break your own record in sales, but there's three people that were higher than you and then you feel lousy about it. It's like, no way. Like, yeah. So true. Yeah. There's there's always somebody who's going to outperform you. Absolutely. Who's going to outdo you. 
So yeah, we comparisons scary. It's true. Well, and even if you are number one, there's always somebody chasing after you to be that number one. Yeah. Nobody holds number one forever either. Right. Yeah. It's true. Even Tom Brady lost some Super Bowls. That is hard to believe, but it's true. <laughs> I'm a, I'm just amazed that BMX has actually got to the Olympics. Oh, I just crazy. I'm like, how, why, what? Yeah. <laughs> That's how I felt about it. I'm like, Okay, whatever. <laughs> it was just an odd sport to add. But, you know, just, watching the competition this morning um, in France, I'm like, man, it's, yeah. oh my gosh, yeah, it's worldwide. At least it's athletic. Oh, yeah. Like some of those sports, it's like, yeah, that's not really athletic. It's like, <laughs> I wonder why, how I got in there. But at least, be, well, actually, you got to be in good shape to do BMX. Yeah. That's so funny. Like, is curling really... <laughs> <laughs> now wait a minute have you tried to do that that's not like, easy like it takes a lot of balance is po playing pool really a sport <laughs> now hey wait now wait 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 yeah, <laughs> we're getting into a sensitive area here mark i couldn't resist <laughs> I'm, I'm 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 not sensing any shame going on here at all <laughs> as i'm leaving tuesday for two weeks in vegas to the tournament yeah <laughs> No, yeah, I just, I'm a referee. Um, there's about 14,000 pool players that'll converge in the Westgate Hotel wow. all over the world and uh, last for almost two weeks, different events throughout. Mm -hmm. And there's about 50 to 60 referees that, that are volunteering their time. They cover all of our expenses and stuff. But, mm -hmm. and then uh, I was honored a year and a half ago to, uh, to make it all the way to the finals. So I'm one of the, one of the half a dozen that get to, do the TV, TV games, awesome. which is, which is, uh, which is awesome. And then, uh, in May I was on t TV refereeing, uh, and as refs on TV for the finals, it's a little different because we actually do, we, we rack the balls for the players. We, we are actively engaged and, you know, they don't have to call us over to watch a shot. We're watching every shot and then we'll just call it. Right. So it's pretty intense. And, uh, and I've done it a few times. And so if you know the game of eight ball, when you rack 15 balls into the triangle, the eight ball always goes in the middle. Mm -hmm. That's like anybody who's been to a bar knows how to do that. If you've played pool and, uh, and I'm a referee and I racked the eight ball in the back row and had no <laughs> idea I did that. I just had no idea and nobody caught it. Players didn't catch it. The TV cameras didn't, you know, uh, on site didn't catch it. We had a professional, every tournament, we have one of the ladies pros helps uh, be one of the announcers. Nobody caught it and, except for the overhead cam and, and the live stream watchers. Oh, They're no. like, why is the eight ball in the back? <laughs> Talk about shame moment. <laughs> and, and, uh, I probably would have felt bad about it because it's like that's so out of character and then you know people are like people are saying that the eight ball isn't and i'm like that's just impossible i would never do something like that like, <laughs> like i know where it goes that's so stupid well that's a great topic for a, a breakthrough thursday is when you think you're right and you're so sure and you're dogma about it and then find out you're wrong what do you do oh yeah no that was exactly how i felt like i, I there's no way i did not do that there's uh, people are nuts well you know they're just creating havoc on the on live stream right <laughs> and uh and then i watched the video when it was the recording later and i'm like 
<laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> so I was the first one to go back, you know, when I went back the next day to referee some more matches, I'm like, all right, I did it. Yeah. I, I'm guilty. And everybody was laughing. And a friend of mine uh, called a, a former, the, the referee who trained me years ago up in Oregon called me last week. I haven't talked to him in six months, eight months. And uh, the very first thing out of his mouth, he said, by the way, did you know the eight ball goes in the middle of the rack? <laughs> I think you shame trigger. Get off my phone. <laughs> it's just one of those things, you know, everybody's done it. You just did it on a bigger stage. Yeah, I just yeah. did it in the world to see it. Yeah. <laughs> well, you excelled at everything you do, Kevin. So right, excelled at everything, so you're going to excel at messing up. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> but you're right, Cindy, that uh, it's like, how often do we, are we convinced something is the way it is and it all, it takes some hard evidence to change that perception, right? And that's the same, you know, just to tie back to shame, it's the same thing. We're convinced that this is who we are, or this is the, this is my problem, or this is my, you know, I'm definitely not good enough or whatever. And we can get so convinced about that. And it's like, how do we get out of that? takes bringing in a lot of new perspective. Mm -hmm. Perception's reality is not always actuality. Yeah. Yeah, Brene Brown actually said in her, I was listening to her book, uh, Heart of the Atlas, and she says that as long as you're communicating efficiently and clearly, and you don't mean to shame, if the other person takes it as shame, that's on them. Yeah. You can't take it on yourself. And that was key because what ends up happening is when they feel shame, they'll blame you for it. And then your guard goes up and that's where the conflict starts. Yeah. So as long as you're communicating effectively and efficiently and clearly with love and care, then it's not your blame. And that's key. It's funny. I just had that happen to me today. I had to have uh, some other supporting documentation from a department and I just sent them an email saying, hey, you got to include this. And she kind of emailed me back. Well, I did have that conversation. I'm like, I had no doubt you had the conversation. I just have to have the documented proof of the conversation to include it. You know, and she's like, oh, okay, I'm good now. So it was like, I wasn't accusing you of not doing what you needed to do, but I have to have it documented. So, yeah, it was just, yeah, it kind of, that's exactly what, you know, she took offense to it. I was like, no, yeah, good. I'm sorry. I should have said, I know you've had this conversation, but I need proof. <laughs> Yeah. 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 Nobody can offend me. I choose to be offended. Right. It's the same principle. But that's hard, eh, Mark? I mean, that, saying that to yourself is, is easy to say it out when you're not in the moment. But, sure. you know, I was having a conversation yesterday and, you know, sharing, I'm sharing a, a topic and all of a sudden the person thought that I was being critical. Yeah. And I'm like, it's not about you at all. I'm not even talking about you. I'm not just talking about a topic that I was researching. Right. And boy, it's, just, it's such a trigger, right? Crit criticism is such a trigger for people. Well, I, that that's a shame trigger. So yeah. they, they, they have shame somewhere in there. That's why they reacted to that. It wasn't crit to point, pointed to them at all. Most, most self-focused people, not necessarily selfish, but, but self-focused people filter everything through what their narrative is and what they feel right? isn't it a nicer way of saying narcissist <laughs> no no narcissism is very different <laughs> self-focus is where 
it's where your emotional intelligence is a little low. Like you don't have the self-awareness or others awareness that you need to process information. Right. And so everything's an offense to you or everything is about you. And so your filter always says, well, how does, how does this, like even a room or an office, how does, how does all this affect me? Rather than saying, I wonder how I affect others. <laughs> so you, it, it's just a little nuance, but it comes from shame. The, the deeper issue when somebody is self-focused is that there's shame there somewhere or they have not felt like enough in their life at some point and so they're trying to be enough. And so you have to be very gentle with those people. It's amazing to watch the transformation when I'm working with people and they all, they all of a sudden start to have the self-awareness. Awareness brings choice. So they realize, ooh, yeah, my filters are off. And so they start making the adjustments and you can see how all of a sudden they, their, their light, just their normal language is less self-focused and more others focused. <laughs> you know, um, tying something you said, Mark, and something Cindy said, uh, reminds me of the, some of the exercises we do in our leadership program with the imperatives or, you know, the, uh, the misuse of imperatives, right. Or the misuse of absolutes. Um, and you know, it's like Cindy, you sent that email, right. And you had no malicious intent whatsoever. You, you just matter of fact needed what you needed. And then that person took it their own way and you can't stop that necessarily. Part of what we uh, we try to help reframe the leaders are even though you have no malicious intent, it's like check your own language and communication because other people do misinterpret, right? They do they do misread what what's being said, and especially in emails. Sometimes I've had to like resort to um, little emojis in the emails, right? It's like then okay, I, I read that email. Yeah, it comes across as kind of. It's matter of fact, it's business is business, but I want them to know that my attitude or my resolve here is lighthearted, you know, so I'll put a little lighthearted emoji in there or something or a grin or, you know, something that, so that when they read it, they can, they understand the mood behind it, the, the mind, you know, the mindset behind it, not just the words on the screen. Right. Or in this case, you know, the shoulds, the imperatives, right. Well, you should have done it that way. You should have given it to me yesterday when I required it. That's all shaming if we're not careful. Texting and emails are the worst form of communication in my opinion. Oh, yeah. To communicate in other people's communication language, like in their love language or in their, in their language, especially in the work arena. Like as a leader, as a manager, how much responsibility do I have to make sure I know my people well enough that I know how to communicate with each one? individually, like I do with my kids. My kids are all three, all three of them are very different personalities. And so I have to speak a different language sometimes, or be a little more careful with my language with one over another type of thing. And do we have a responsibility as leaders in the workplace? I know the answer I'm asking the question too, but you know, maybe that's a good discussion. Like, do we have a responsibility to communicate in other people's communication style to help them understand us. Well, I know for me, and this is something I'm learning and continuing to work on, if it's a one-on-one -on -one conversation, if I'm just sending the email to a single person, I absolutely, if I know yep. they are a certain type of person and I know them, I will change the language of my email. Because my emails are very direct. They are very direct. I am, there is not an extra word in my emails typically. <laughs> I just who I am. And I know that about myself. So if I'm 
with somebody who's, you know, out there and they're the type of person that they want to know how your weekend was and everything else, I have, totally have to change my email <laughs> for those types of people. Um, and I do it. If it's, if I'm only addressing that one person, I will address, I will do my best to address. That's that. where the, the personality styles and blind spots come in to help, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think it's uh, imperative to use this, a really strong challenge that leaders do learn, to, you know, what their, who their people are and, and how to adapt our own styles to the other styles. I mean, it's the young population talks about authenticity. Just be who you are, right? You do you. And I, that phrase is so shallow and so unaware. It kind of drives me crazy in some ways. In fact, I, there was a, I should have took a picture. There's one of the, the hotel casinos here locally that has huge marquee out by the swimming pool that says something, I think it says, you do you. And I was like, oh my word, seriously. It, it's because what it, what it, you know, what we end up doing is we end up just being us to the, you know, with the lack of sensitivity to the fact that everybody around us is impacted in some way by us. And so why don't we learn to be more aware, first of all, who we are and then more aware of who others are and then learn how to adapt. And that's still being authentic. If you know who you are. Authenticity brings humility, not, not the opposite. So that sign's not even true. All the people that are just being them are actually copying someone else <laughs> in the media. I mean, think about it, right? Like they, just do you, they're emulating somebody else that they're trying to be, whether it's Kardashians or Hilton's or maybe whatever it is, right? They've seen on TV. Uh, the, the whole concept of just do you isn't even, Yeah, uh, I, I don't, I think it's very destructive actually to society and to people's authenticity. I don't think just doing you is not actually authentic. Because no, it's not. I mean, if you're it, it, like, if you're at cost of your tendency is to be a jerk then just do you is saying it's okay to be a jerk just do you where is it the jerk and you say you be you you now you're shaming them right yeah <laughs> well here's the thing right look at look at the age group that we're here you bring in somebody a lot younger they're going to challenge us on this conversation yeah bring them on bring them on yeah where are the young they should be in these conversations that's right they should be they should be by the demographic of our I'd like to see more younger leaders, but and that's it. That brings up my other point: is that how, are we developing leaders that communicate in other people's styles and are others aware? We're not, right? And and so our world's in trouble because we're not developing authenticity and self awareness and others awareness and emotional intelligence. But is it just you said that, Mark? Um, my daughter very much you do you attitude. Yeah. Yet very self aware. And an incredible leader in a new position. Yeah. It was interesting. That I, I, as you said that, I was thinking about her behavior and how she is. But it comes from a facade of protectionism, the you do you, for sure. But in the workplace, she's an incredible leader. Yeah. And, and maybe for her, you do you is, she can do that from an authentic place. But I'm just saying most of the people, uh, generally speaking, that the whole movement to putting self first. And I'm not saying that we should not self-care. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Um, <laughs> I'm not saying that self-care is not important. I'm just saying that we've created a whole generation of self-focused people because 
you do you, but it's not authentic in itself. Yeah. The, the, the you they're trying to do is something they've seen somewhere or someone they idolize and, and, uh, your daughter, and it could come from that projection thing, but I, I would say probably she has more, probably coming more from an authentic place where she has confidence in what she does. Yeah. And that I think is a, I think just speculation here because I haven't really researched this, uh, but my my hunch is that this whole you do you movement, if you will, concept from the younger generation is really just a pushback against the facade that they have witnessed in us. Yes. Yes. It's just, it's just a total pushback. It's like, you guys are a bunch of fakes. You know, you pretend one way in the public, but we know because we lived with you. Yeah. How you really are. Well, sure. And so they're just like, no, what? let's just, just be authentic. Let's just do us. Let's not fall into the uh, the societal norms and and uh, and stereotypes. But it's, it's again, it's a, probably, you know, driven from, you know, maybe a good motive in many ways, but it's been misguided. Yeah. It, you know, we all, and then them and even us, back to your point of the leaders developing young leaders, you know, we all suffer from this concept of, uh, of a lack of self-awareness and emotional intelligence. Hey, Kevin, I think um, you hit the nail on the head about the facade that we were doing, you know, the way we were pretending and being a certain way and then the kids saw us a certain way. And there's a good conversation around that because mm -hmm. if you think about our self-awareness leadership program that we do, look at the age group that shows up. The last cohort, we had a big age bracket show up, but the ones that were younger weren't as engaged as the older ones. What was interesting though, is, uh, as you say that, is this last group we finished, the younger leaders, and they're all in upper leadership. I mean, this whole group was the executive team, if you will. But the younger leaders there actually had huge breakthroughs because they saw for the first time their older, uh, age-wise, their older leaders become vulnerable okay. and become human and connected. And that was, that was a breakthrough for, so they're like, oh my gosh, wow. I mean, I can now feel okay about this because I know that you're struggling with that. Right. So it's huge. So yeah, they're, they need to see more of the facade broken. Thank you for listening to the Awareness Advantage podcast brought to you weekly by the leadership team at Blind Spots Global, a multinational, multicultural leadership development organization specializing in transforming managers who are good at getting stuff done into great leaders who can influence and inspire others to achieve their best. If you have not yet subscribed, please do so now so you will never miss an episode. If you would like to join our live virtual studio audience and participate in the conversations, visit us at blindspots.vip forward slash audience. That's blindspots.vip forward slash audience. We hope to see you there.